Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Euler, and this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. So something that's become quite popular the last 15, 20 years in the business world are assessment tools, particularly tools that focus on work style or personality type or personality type and work style. They can be incredibly helpful. I find that folks are generally gung-ho or almost dogmatic about assessment tools and the use thereof, while others tend to have real resistance and barriers to them. When they're used in their proper context, can be super, super helpful tools. Having said that, I was one of those folks that for years, probably up until about 12 years ago, was adamantly opposed to assessment tools. I think in part, one, I probably didn't want to get a deeper understanding of where I needed some work. So there may have been a little fear wrapped around that. I think secondarily, I was really concerned with being typecasted. I didn't want to be labeled. Point of fact, I think if they're used properly, they can be super helpful. So I'll tee off our conversation with a bit of an example. Probably 14 years ago at my former firm, we brought all our change management practitioners to Dallas for a big summit. And in the run-up to the summit, we had been asked to take a Kiersey-based work style assessment, which was based off of Myers-Briggs. So grounded on Myers-Briggs and was based upon sociologists who did leadership work actually at Fuller Seminary of all places. But we went through this assessment, we answered all the questions. And of course, half the time, it's like when you're going through border patrol or passport control at the border, you feel like you've done something wrong, even though you haven't. So you're filling out this assessment test. And we had someone from Kiersey come and present the results to 150, 200 people. And I actually kind of opened my eyes a bit to the power of the tool. Because first of all, when I read my debrief that I was given, I was shocked at how much I identified with it. It actually was using words that I had used to describe myself. That was pretty powerful. But you could also argue self-referential because you're assessing yourself in a way. It was actually meaningful from the standpoint of it started to unlock some things that I had always thought were actually wrong with me in certain contexts and settings. Like, why is everyone else like this? And I'm like that. Something must be wrong with me. What it also did, so it was eye-opening from a personal perspective, but from a corporate perspective, it really helped me to understand the diversity of personalities, work styles, and strengths that my colleagues brought to bear. So the Kiersey study, I don't want to go too deep into the studies, but the Kiersey study itself kind of breaks you down between a rational, idealist, artisan, and guardian. And the rationalist is exactly what you would think, very left to right thinkers, highly logical, usually non-emotional, those folks that are probably generally pretty grounded and very fact-based in their decision-making. That's rationalist. This is, I'm not quoting Kiersey. This is my own summary. Then you have the idealists, right? They love ideas. They have a vision for how things ought to be, and they want to move everyone towards that. They tend to be folks that are very conceptual, that can navigate ambiguity, and that's the idealist. The third category is the artisan. And the artisan is that person that's also comfortable with ambiguity on the quadrant kind of sandwich between the rationalist and the idealist. And they're folks that are a little bit more creative in their orientation and mindset. They're the folks that think conceptually, but think very creatively at the same time. 
And then there's the guardian. The guardians are very process-based folks. They really like very well-defined guardrails, like what's my left and right limit? What's the process? What can I do? What can I not do? And interestingly enough, about 80% of our practice were idealists. And I sat straight on the line on the axis between artisan and idealist. And then there were like three or four of us and then a few rationalists, like my boss at the time was a rationalist. It fit her beautifully. Fact-based, non-emotional, clear-headed decision maker most of the time. And it hit me to a T. And all of a sudden, I realized that when I'm working with Guardian, the Guardians drive me nuts because... It's like, well, I need my rules. I need to know what left and right is. Is there a process for this? I can't move until I know where the starting line is. And I'm like, screw the starting line. Let's just dive in and get after it. We'll commit and then figure it out. That's my motto. And you're laughing because you're a guardian and I'm an idealist. <laughs> I was going to say, and I actually facilitated multiple workshops. And when I saw the artisan, I said, oh, that's Justin. That's why we're so different without knowing yeah. your type. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it can be very helpful and it actually used in the proper context and the way they structure it is, this is how you were made. This is who you are, not from a labeling perspective, but this is what you bring to the table. And we actually are better when we have a little bit of all of this together, right? Like everyone serves a function and a role and has a place. You don't want everyone to be guardians because then you'll never start anything unless right. the conditions are like perfect at the same time. <laughs> You don't want a room full of idealists and artisans because then you'll just talk about things all day long and you'll never get clarity because you're always up in the clouds in this ambiguous idea-centered world and you need the guardians to pull you down and anchor you, right? Yeah. And then the rationalists are like, hey, guardians, don't freak out because there aren't any rules. And hey, idealists, get your heads out of the clouds and let's get to a fact base. And hey, artisans, that's a wonderful graphic that you put together here, but what does it tell us, right? So you need all of those. So that was my first exposure to Kiersey. I like Kiersey a lot. My old practice used Kiersey and it was a first time for a lot of my folks using it. It was an aha because it really helped us to understand what are our strengths? What do we bring to the table? How do we complement one another? And then you can start to explore like, okay, how do we work together? And not just work together behind the scenes as a practice, but I even think about staffing now in terms of, hey, if I can put an idealist and a rationalist together, an idealist and a guardian together, that's a beautiful marriage as opposed to a whole team full of rationalists or a whole team full of guardians. Right. So it started to inform the way we staffed. It started to form the way we paired people up in regards to roles to give each other that compliment and really to get the best out of our team. So again, not a tool to label, not a tool to pigeonhole, but really a tool to like, I hate to use this term, optimize the performance of the team. My company also has in its own tool set, it has a team dynamics tool that's very interesting that we're starting to explore and use for our customers. And then of course, there's things like strength finders, which is less about personality and work style. And it's more like, what are your inherent talents? And again, really helpful. Kiersey and you know strength finders, you put them together. It's a really nice compliment. And there are other assessment tools like DISC that I'm not as familiar with. But again, not so much to label or to limit, but to really optimize and figure out how do we really extract the strengths and the talents of this team, validate it, appreciate it, and then use it for the benefit of the team, the benefit of the customer and of the company. Yeah. One important point I think is that when you went to that summit with the team, you had somebody from Kiersey administering it. Yeah. So you do need somebody to help administer and interpret the results who 
is a pro and has gone deep and understands them, or it could be an unnecessary exercise or an exercise that doesn't yield a lot of results if there's nobody that's the expert implementing and interpreting for the team when you get yeah, the result. Yeah. And you also have to sit down with your team and everybody take it together and understand it together in order to be able to understand your differences between you and your colleagues. Yeah. Because it's a lot harder just to kind of guess what people are, if that's your interpretation. You know, you need a formal tool that your team is using to point to opportunities for partnering people together, like Justin said, who think about and come at problems differently. So I am most familiar with Myers-Briggs. When I was in grad school, we had to do Myers-Briggs and they really debriefed us in detail because they wanted us to be able to, I don't have the official certification, but they wanted us to be able to administer that as needed. So, and I also know Kiersey really well. So when you do Myers-Briggs, there's 16 different combinations that you can come out with personality wise. You're one of a combo of four letters. And on the first letter, you're either E or I, extrovert or introvert. And the way that Myers-Briggs specifically defines an extrovert or introvert is if you are energized by working with others or if it drains your energy and you're energized by working by yourself. Then next is the S or the N, which is sensors versus intuitives. So sensors are kind of the realistic people focusing on facts and details. And the intuitives are focused more on possibilities and big pictures. And then you have a T or an F for the next line, and that's thinkers versus feelings. And it's how do you make decisions? Thinkers using logical analysis and feelers being sensitive to their own personal values and that of others and how decisions might affect that. And then the final is either you're a J or a P, a judger or perceiver. Judgers are organized and prepared, like to stick to plans. Perceivers prefer to keep their options open, act a little bit more spontaneously or more open to moving away from the initial plan. And so when you put all of the possibilities together, you get 16. And what Kiersey does is take those 16 and just put them into the four categories that yeah. Justin outlined. Yeah. So it finds sort of some of the common characteristics within those different profiles. And the reason that I used Myers-Briggs is because I was told, and I believe this is still true today, that it is the only assessment that has been proved to be accurate the majority of the time. I believe it has like a 70 to 80% accuracy rate for folks, whereas other tools don't necessarily have that. Now, remember, I'm learning this in grad school 20 years ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Kiersey didn't exist. DISC didn't exist. Strength finders didn't exist. Now it's all here, right? And I haven't seen the statistics about accuracy levels with that, but a lot of it stems from that original Myers-Briggs that came yeah. forward as the main assessment tool. What happens is sometimes there's so much to remember that you have to do your own thinking about the different types and what stands out for you. And so when Justin was describing his story, he was saying, you know, I'm an artisan. And what I'm noticing is that guardians are difficult for me to work with. And here's why. And that's the kind of value that you pull out from these assessments. It's not, let me remember all 16 of the Myers-Briggs potential <laughs> categories that you can yeah. fall under and every characteristic about somebody who's an extrovert versus an introvert, and then try and guess if people are extroverts or introverts. That's not the right way to use the tool. The right way is for you to either have that information known because you've gone through an assessment with your 
team as a whole, and you're all using the same interpretation and assessment to figure out where you will work well together and where you might have challenges. Or if you're taking it on your own just to better yourself, what you want to do is recognize what are the different types of styles and use that as a way to categorize style types and then say, and where might I run into issues with each type? And if you think of folks that you work with who are examples of those issues that you've run into, it might help you to deep dive into that style a little bit more and understand how they're thinking and how they're coming at the problem. And probably really quickly, it will become obvious to you what the issue is and how you could pivot and change your approach to better accommodate the work style of someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, like personality does adapt and change over time. Whereas I was an INFP for a long time. Interestingly enough, my I introvert, I assess and have assessed my entire life right on the line between I and E. I'm more I than E. So a lot of people that know me more in a professional setting, particularly clients are aghast that I'm introverted. I can show up as an extrovert, but then it's based upon how you recharge. Well, I, I do not recharge with people. I recharge with space and time and quiet. So I don't mind doing weird things like going to the movies by myself or going skiing by myself. It's actually regenerative for me. But what has changed over the years is the P and the J. I was very much a P perceiving. And as Lindsay said, you know, I'm open to plans changing. I'm less planful. I think as I've gotten older, life has gotten more complex. And as I've moved into higher levels of leadership and have more people that I'm responsible for, and frankly, juggling a lot more things internally from a leadership perspective, from a, a leader of a practice, and then being part of a larger group of leaders that all have other additional responsibilities. I've just become a more planful person. I've shifted to more of that J. And now I'm an INFJ as opposed to an INFP. I've just now shifted into more of an individual contributor role for a period of time. And it'll be interesting to see if that P kind of comes back. But there is some transition, not huge shifts, but there are shifts over time in personality. And that's just an example of how I've shifted. Yeah. I've shifted a couple of times on the Myers-Briggs. I didn't realize initially, like you have to retake it every five-ish years or so yeah. to see yeah. if you're still scoring the same. And a couple of other important points with assessments is one, the Myers-Briggs for sure, and I think several others as well, you can take them from different perspectives from who am I in my personal life or who am I in my work life? So when I've yeah. given the Myers-Briggs survey to people that, you know, you answer a bunch of questions and then you find out at the end what your letter combo is. But I've had people ask me, well, is this asking me in a work context or personal at home context? And I know for me, I assumed I was an extrovert because I'm extroverted with family and friends at home. I get more energy from being around them, but at work, I gain my energy from alone time, time to think. So you can be an introvert in one and extrovert in another, or any of those letters can yeah. apply. So that's important to call out as well. And then it doesn't fit everyone. It fits the majority. I use yeah. kind of the 80-20 rule. When I feel like something fits the majority, but not everyone, I use my 80-20 rule and say, yeah. <laughs> I think 80% it's going to hit people, but there's always those exceptions. And even like you, Justin, who you said you were on the artist and idealist line, right? You didn't quite fit into one or the other. And I've had that too, right. where I'm kind of a combo of both. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. And I find it fascinating now. It's very intriguing to me. 
But I, again, I think I just keep it in proper context, right? It's helpful. It's a tool. It doesn't define me. It doesn't define the people around me. It certainly can be very, very helpful. So that kind of concludes our conversation around assessment tools. My encouragement to all of you is find one that works, experiment. If you have the ability to pay for the book and the tool or the consultant and the tool as a team, I, I highly recommend it. I think it's super helpful. I think there's a nice pairing between like a work style or a personality assessment like Kiersey or just a pure Myers-Briggs and like a strength finders. I think those are nice pairings with one another. One's looking at personality, one's looking at talent. That's my go-to. Yeah. And there's usually not the full assessment available online, but a summarized version. Maybe the full assessment has a hundred questions and this survey gives you 20 to get an idea. So you can look online. I know the Kiersey assessment does that and there's Myers-Briggs shortened versions. So you can also do that if you're curious to get to know the tools, if you're trying to decide what works best for your team, or if you just want a little bit of insight into your own preferences. Yeah. Again, it's another thing to have in your toolkit, super helpful, really beneficial. If you have any questions or concerns, we'll put some links in the show notes that you can reference. And of course, you could reach out to us on LinkedIn, send us any questions or concerns you might have, or if you just want to hear our perspective on one, we'd be happy to share that with you. So until next time. That's all for today. Don't forget to head out to our website to download the tips and tricks worksheet from today's episode, download case studies, subscribe to our podcast and newsletter and more and tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.